Around 12,000 years ago, there was a mass extinction event that eliminated around 75% of the world's large mammals. It's still unclear exactly what caused this, but it marked the end for legendary megafauna such as the woolly mammoth and the saber-toothed tiger. Remarkably, a handful of cheetahs survived this event, but it created a population bottleneck, resulting in an extreme reduction of their genetic diversity. Today, the average level of genetic variation in cheetahs is less than 4%, lower than the gorillas of Warunga National Park, the Moor Tigers, and Australia's Tassie Devil. What all of this means is that cheetah conservation is really important and needs to be carefully managed. So, in 2018, when a private game reserve in South Africa found three orphan cheetah cubs calling incessantly for their mother, they made a decision to intervene, a decision to fight for their survival. Typically, orphan cheetah cubs are removed from the wild and placed in facilities. But this reserve wanted to try a new approach. Could they keep the cubs in the wild and just help them to bolster their odds of survival? So we'll begin this story right when these orphan cubs were first found and take you through to its fascinating conclusion. But there's no spoilers here. So stick around and join me in hearing the story of the orphan cheetah cubs of Melgavondon. I'm Andy Bubble, and this is Cats of the Wild, episode 15, The Orphan Cubs of Belgavondon. The cheetah is an iconic species of wildcat, most widely known as the fastest land animal on Earth. They typically stalk their prey first, before chasing them at speeds of up to 93 kilometers per hour, or 70 miles per hour, over short distances. Historically, the cheetah was found all throughout Africa, and then across the Arabian Peninsula into India. Today, it's most prevalent in southern and east Africa, with a handful of small populations in west and central Africa, as well as Iran. In exciting news, Cheetahs are due to be reintroduced to India in November 2021, after being declared regionally extinct there in 1952. Socially, cheetahs are unique amongst other cats in that after cubs leave their mother, both male and female cubs will stay together for around six months before splitting and going their own way. Females will remain solitary, whilst males can either be solitary or join a coalition with two to three other males. They will mate with multiple partners, and genetic studies have revealed that a single litter can have cubs from different fathers. Cheetah cub mortality in the wild is high. In the Kruger, it was found only 35% of cubs survived to independence, whilst in the Serengeti, only 5% reach independence. The main cause for cub mortality is predation due to other carnivores, such as lions. Hi, my name is Carmen and I'm the research coordinator for Balkafon and Game Reserve. Which is not only a tongue twister, but a 36,000 hectare private game reserve in the Waterberg district of Limpopo, South Africa. It's named after a Dutch word, which means serendipitous discovery. I'm from down at the coast, but I moved up here and it's, it's been an absolute adventure since I started. 
I studied game ranch management. And so that's quite a relatively new course, which is kind of a combination between nature conservation and agriculture. But the, the work that we do on this reserve really fulfills everything that I studied to, to do. So it's been really great. I started here as, as an assistant, an assistant research and volunteer coordinator. And um, then last year, my boss moved into a new position on another reserve. And so I've taken his position. So now I run the project and we basically collect data for the reserve. So the data that we collect, our ecologist can then run his models and our scientific committee can make recommendations so that the reserves management can make decisions based on those results. Normally, we have students and volunteers that come to this camp to help us um, and it helps fund it. But of course, yeah, those are almost 100% international students and volunteers. And so we haven't actually had any for a very long time because of COVID. In the 1980s, the original Vogelvonten farm was owned by Pink's Duplessis, and he had a dream of restoring this farmland back to its natural state. With the help of the private sector in 1987, they consolidated a number of farms in the area, restored the land, and knocked down their fences to create what is now known as Vogelvonten Game Reserve. It's home to over 50 different species of mammals, including apex predators such as lions and leopards, they can prey on cheetahs and their cubs. It was a combination of cattle farming and then you know, agricultural produce, so fruit trees and, and crops. There would have been some wildlife, especially in the more wilderness areas, but certainly not the species we have today. So, yeah, we definitely are going back to kind of what it was a few hundred years ago, which is, is quite amazing. All the fences, of course, are gone. And the biodiversity is, is certainly higher than it would, it would be if it was still agricultural land. So it's, of course, it's never going to be completely natural. And if it was um, natural the way it was hundreds of years ago, we'd never be able to sustain these species, you know, for the whole year throughout the seasons, because of course they would move. So yeah, although it looks natural, there's a lot of careful, careful monitoring to make sure that nothing goes out of sync. Most of those farmlands, or the old agricultural lands today are now grazing lawns. And a lot of the areas where fire would have been the predominant driver is now not anymore because of the amount of game we have. We have changed this reserve from a fire-driven to a herbivore-driven system. And uh, the white rhino population, which this reserve is a stronghold for white rhino, maintain the grazing lawns on the reserve, which used to be old agricultural lands. And these grazing lawns are able to sustain these rhino, but also the, the other herbivores, which then can sustain our predator populations. The story of the orphan cheetah cubs started on August 7, 2018. It was a guard, actually. The guard, you know, who drives the game viewers for the lodges. They had been following this mother and her cubs for a few days. And then one morning, they called the reserve management to tell them that these cubs are on their own. Not funded management standby for slide 23. Management standing by. Management of slide 23, I'd um, like to raise a concern about three cheetah cubs that I see here in Ibu Basin Plains. Um, the mother is nowhere to be found and the cubs are seemingly on their own. Thank you very much for reporting. Uh, we'll follow up. Thank you very much. There was one male cub and two female cubs around seven and a half months of age. They're just calling and calling and the mother isn't coming back. So he stayed with them for a little while and we went out and, and had a look. 
And the thought was that maybe she will still come back. Maybe she just went a little bit too far to try and hunt. They have this like really painful chirping call. And that's what we could hear the whole time over and over, this this incessant like call, this this chirp. And it, it's really emotional to hear because they're calling for their mom and looking for her and that she's nowhere around. The next day they went back and the cubs were still there. So the reserve management decided to intervene. So it's not something we'd ever kind of thought of and ever expected would happen. We weren't really prepared for what we would do in the situation. But it was eventually the COO's decision. He consulted some people and wildlife veterinarians and the decision was to leave them in the field because they don't have much luck or conservation value if they get removed and put in captivity. The thought was as well is that if they were removed and then the mother did come back to find them, if she was still alive, then we would have spoiled it and it would have been maybe difficult to get the cubs back to her. So, you know, at the time it was just going to be temporary. We weren't sure if, you know, if she would come back or what was going to happen. The decision at the time was to feed them now and see what happens. It wasn't until 38 days later that they found the mother's carcass and they were unable to determine the cause of death. We think she must have gone hunting. She was over 10 years old and so this is quite old for Cheetah. Um, And she might have died trying to hunt. So whatever she was trying to hunt maybe injured her or perhaps a leopard or a lion killed her. We're just really not sure. Yeah, the carcass was uh, in a state of decomposition too far to be able to identify, you know, what killed her. But she was old. So, yeah, almost anything could have happened. Lions are responsible for a lot of the mortalities and as well as leopards. So this might have happened. But, yeah, cheetahs have also been killed by the prey, especially older cheetah, have been killed by the prey that they are trying to catch. So that easily could have happened. The team at Volgovondon decided to supplement the cubs' feeding with an impala carcass to help their chances of survival. They clearly were hungry. Um, and we weren't sure if they were going to take the carcass or not because cheetahs aren't known to really scavenge. And they were still young. They were only seven and a half months old. And without their mother, they were a bit nervous. But as soon as the, the vehicles were a comfortable space away from them, they stalked to the carcass and dragged it under the shed and immediately started feeding. So that was great. That was the first success. They also fitted one of the cubs with a high-frequency radio collar so they could better track them across the reserve. But one morning... They couldn't find them. We couldn't find them. So, you know, we scan in the area with the telemetry and you have to get a beep, which means they are nearby. The, the signal needs to be strong enough. And we just, we got nothing. We got no signal for them. More days passed and still no signal. We had a helicopter at the time because we were doing a rhino intervention, which was planned, and I went into the helicopter and tried to look for them, and we got no signal. The thing is, because they were only 10 and a half months old, we didn't expect them to move too far. Say the lions had got them, we still would have got signal for their collar, because even if, if the animal is dead, um, we still would, should have picked up signal for the collar. So I thought maybe that the collar had died. And then, 10 days later. We we managed to get signal for them way up in the north of the reserve and we found them. And all three of them were fine and and we fed them. 
So that was fine. And then after that, they remained in the northern and western part of the reserve, which was great because that's where our camp was based. So we could do the feeding and the monitoring from there. Yeah, I, I think what happened was at the time we had some sub-adult male lions who were kind of just looking for things to chase and catch. And I've got a feeling that they got scared and they just kept running. And I, I think they got out of that, that lion area in the central of the reserve. Um, and they didn't come back for a long time because of the presence of the lions in that area. Days soon turned into weeks and weeks into months. And the team at Velkovondon were starting to worry if the cubs were becoming too dependent on them for feeding. Over a few weeks, we started noticing that they started associating the sound of the telemetry, which is a, quite a, a loud beep, with food. So they would actually come running out of the bush to the road if they heard us. Then we would know that if they did that, that they were actually hungry. And as they started getting older, we realized that if this telemetry signal was very strong, if the beep was very loud and, and um, it gave an indication that they're very close, but they didn't come to the road, that meant that they were probably found something to eat or they'd actually managed to hunt something and they weren't hungry enough to come out to us. So that was quite interesting. And it did make our life easier because then it meant we never really had to go off road to try and find them. One of the biggest questions though was, could these cubs learn how to hunt independently without their mother? This was a crucial and important step if these cheetahs had any chance of continuing to live in the wild, as they had to learn how to hunt for themselves. There was a concern for us as well because, you know, the, the mother would have taught them to hunt. She would have brought carcasses to them and then she would have kind of forced them to try and kill the animals. And so we weren't sure how, how they were going to learn to hunt without the, the help of their mother. But definitely they had enough instincts to be able to, to do it successfully. There were times when we'd sometimes find them and they had full bellies and um, it was definitely too long after their last feeding to still have those full bellies. So we realized they were probably starting to make kills. Um, It could have been maybe scrub hare or a smaller antelope. And then they were about 12 months old and the lambing season for the impala was just starting. They had quite a lot of warthog piglets around um, and that's when they started making their own kills. We found that us feeding them did not at all affect their their hunting or their desire to hunt. We saw them hunting or trying to hunt sometimes two days after we fed them. So this definitely didn't affect their, their kind of will and desire to hunt. But what if these cheetahs could play an even bigger role in conservation? Due to the lack of genetic diversity in the cheetah, Projects such as the Endangered Wildlife Trust's Cheetah Metapopulation Project exist to ensure the long-term survival of the species. The idea is this. There are around 50 smaller reserves in South Africa, each with a handful of cheetahs. Now, individually, these populations are not viable. But if you were to manage all these small populations together as one metapopulation, it can become a healthy and thriving group of cheetahs. Already, these cheetahs are now genetically healthier than free-ranging cheetahs, and the team at EWT were starting to look for cheetahs for reintroduction projects across Malawi, Swaziland, and Mozambique. Two of the, the orphans, because of their age and their gender, they were selected to send them to Malawi to a reserve that, that hadn't had cheetahs in decades. So. At almost 19 months old, they were then captured and placed in our predator boma, which is an enclosure specifically designed for for predators. 
And um, the male and, and one of the females was then translocated to Malawi as part of a founder group of, of Cheetah. African Parks manages four parks in Malawi in partnership with Malawi's Department of National Parks and Wildlife. And these two orphan cheetahs were released into Majeta National Park, along with another two cheetahs donated from other reserves in South Africa. It's the second reintroduction of cheetahs in Malawi after the success of seven cheetahs reintroduced into Lawande National Park in 2017. has now grown to a population of around 25. It shows what can happen when private game reserves like Volgavonden truly invest in conservation. We are considered the leader in conservation and, and the reserve has invested heavily in the protection of, of wild species and in particular rhino and cheetah. And Volgavonden is also known for innovative conservation approaches. So, you know, what we do in conservation is known to be kind of like out of the norm and, and unique so we are committed to, you know, looking after these species and we do what we can for specifically for these species that need the protection. So with cheetah that are considered vulnerable, that, that was the reason, you know. So there would have been other species that, you know, didn't have the same conservation value and also didn't have the same emotional response that the guests would have would have felt for them. And, and so that's the reason why we put so much effort into it, I guess, is because we felt almost obliged to do it for this particular species because of their conservation value and because of our commitment to cheetah conservation and to the meta population. Um, this reserve contributes quite significantly to the, the cheetah meta population. And so it was important to keep that going. And of course, you know, if they were put in, kept into captivity and, and not remained wild, they wouldn't have been part of this this really, um, this really special and important conservation move of being translocated to another African country. And so that definitely, that is the significance of them remaining wild. This story is quite personal for Carmen. She followed these cubs from when they were orphaned right through to their translocation. And the remaining female still today lives on the Velgovonda Reserve. She wrote about the in-situ supplemental feeding of these cheetah cubs in a recently published paper in Conservation Science and Practice. Yeah, I just this the story of this cheetah, it, it kind of was a miracle because we they would definitely defy the odds. There were times when the lions walk in the area that they had been um, and definitely made them run, but they, they managed to survive. And you know, the female that survived and, and is on the reserve. Yeah, we're hoping that she would have cubs soon. Uh, and once she's had cubs, then we'll really know that this this was a success because um, she's completely natural. Yeah, she, she she obviously hunts and everything on her farm on her own, but um, once she has had cubs, then we'll know that this is com- kind of done a, a full circle and it's it was really was a success. I'm Carmen. Um, I'm the research coordinator for Balkafon and Game Reserve in the Waterberg, South Africa. And if you'd like to follow us and, and see what more we're up to, please follow us on Instagram, Balkafon and Research, and on Facebook, the same name. And our, our website is balkafon.org. Thank you so much for Carmen for her time. All the links are at capsulthewild.com, or you can check out Velkafonden directly yourself. It's spelt W-E-L-G-E-V-O-N-D-E-N. And I'm sorry for my terrible pronunciation all throughout the episode. Cats of the Wild is created by me, Andy Barbell. 
Theme music is by Score Squad. Other music and sound effects from Envato. Thank you.